In Matthew chapter 24, the Lord Jesus gave his final climatic discourse on his coming kingdom. He did it while stripping the disciples of any hope of the current status of Israel. It would be torn down before he came to bring his kingdom to earth. Welcome everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen and this is the Bread of Life. This radio ministry is sponsored by Church Partnership Evangelism and its local missions fellowship in Boise, Idaho, the Bread of Life. If you're looking for a place to give that is taking the gospel in direct and personal evangelism throughout the world, I'd ask you to consider Church Partnership Evangelism. You can learn more by going to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. The coming of our Lord Jesus to reign as King upon the earth is still ahead of us, but it was anticipated by the disciples of the Lord Jesus even at the end of his earthly ministry. The Lord Jesus did not discourage their longings, but he did warn them that when it came, it would come without the political or national conventions that they were familiar with. They would have to turn their attention to something else, to his plans and his way, and we'll have to do the same thing. We must not ask only about what will happen to our country in the future, but what Christ must do to prepare the world for his return. Well, verse 1 records a rather ironic moment. The disciples are pointing out to the Lord Jesus the wonders of the temple complex. That temple was in the process of being constructed. It had been under construction for over 50 years. It will actually be under construction for another 34 years before it's completed. It is a marvel. It is wondrous. And as they're leaving the temple, they're caught up with the beauty and the glory and the majesty of these great buildings that are being built in the temple complex. And they begin to, in a sense, guide Jesus around and show him all of these great things in these grand edifices. And the ironic part about it is that the construction of this temple is only meant to foreshadow the one whom they're showing and revealing it to. The Lord Jesus is the fulfillment and the epitome of all that the temple represented and all that the temple projected. In fact, the Lord Jesus said of himself that he was one who was greater than the temple. And so they are with the one who is greater than the temple complex, and yet at this very moment, they're they're more distracted by the greatness of the temple, and they're pointing out to the one who is greater than all. And Added to this irony is what happens in Matthew 23. In Matthew 23, the Lord Jesus is in the temple grounds, and there in the temple grounds, the Lord Jesus unloads a series of curses upon the leaders of the nation of Israel. And basically, his curses amount to this. They are going to be judged because they have failed to recognize their Messiah. They have failed to honor their Messiah. And not only that, they are going to be judged, but because they've also failed to lead the nation of Israel in recognizing him and honoring him, the nation of Israel is going to be judged as well. And so the Lord Jesus finishes his words with a lament over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He says that the city that he would have longed to have gathered as a hen would gather his chicks under his wings, but they would not. And now... He said they won't see him again until they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And in the meantime, he says, you are going to be laid desolate. Jerusalem is going to be laid desolate. The temple grounds are going to be laid desolate. And it's a stern pronouncement and a a stern lament. And following the stern pronouncement of judgment and the stern lament, the disciples shake it off rather quickly. And as they're leaving, they say, oh, look, look at the beautiful buildings, Jesus. And they're showing Jesus all of these wonders and marvels of the building. And basically what Jesus was saying was, listen, I'm going to bring judgment upon this nation and upon these leaders, not because they failed to honor and recognize the greatness of the temple, but because they failed to honor and recognize the greatness of myself as the Messiah. That's the irony of what's taking place here. 
And so they take the Lord Jesus around and they show him with childlike enthusiasm the construction around them. And if the Lord Jesus to some extent went along with their child, it seems that they did for some sense because you get the idea that there's been a, a bit of a survey, a bit of a guide that they've taken them on in the language that's there. And the Lord Jesus goes along with them and lets the little children show all, the, all these wonderful things. But at some point in time, if he allows them their childlike enthusiasm, he does so only for a short while. Then he speaks to them clearly what men need to hear, clear truth. And he says this to them, do you see all these buildings? Not one stone is going to be remaining upon the other, but all of them are going to be thrown down. This is incredibly shocking news to these disciples. After they've just finished giving this wonderful guided tour of the beautiful nature and the glory of this complex that's being constructed, be told that the temple is going to be completely destroyed. In their minds, the destruction of the temple means the end of the world as they know it. Literally, what it says is it means the end of the age. By the way, the rabbinics of that day taught that there were two age periods. There was the age of the law and the current age in which they were in. That age was going to come to an end, and then there was going to be the age of the Messiah coming and reigning and ruling upon the earth, bringing judgment to the world and then reigning forever. And so the disciples gather these two things together. If this temple is going to be destroyed, then it means the next age is about ready to dawn, about ready to come. And they gather and put together these two things and they think of them in that way. And so they entwine together these ideas, the destruction of the temple and the onset or beginning of the messianic age, and they're intertwined in the questions that they ask. When will this temple be destroyed, they ask. What will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Now this has been roiling through their minds, this shocking news that the Lord Jesus said to them, and they're silent for a period of time, but they can't resist in asking this question. So it's a little after this when they're on the Mount of Olives sitting there surveying and looking over the Temple Mount that they ask these questions. They reason if the temple is going to be destroyed, this must be the time when Jesus will present himself in power to conclude the present age and begin the age of the messianic reign. When is your coming? When are you coming in this fashion, in this way, presenting yourself? And the what that they ask here can be understood as a how. In other words, the when and the how of this age. Basically, they're saying, when and how will this temple be destroyed? And when and how shall this messianic age begin? That's what they're asking. That seems to be the question that's on their mind. Again, the disciples thought the destruction of the temple would mean the end of the world and that it would immediately issue in the appearing of the Messiah in judgment and power to set up a new rule in the place of utter defeat or the casting down of all worldly powers and now, what we know at this point in time is the temple will not be destroyed until 40 years after the statement by the Lord Jesus. Only six years after it's completed is the temple completely destroyed. It's destroyed by a Roman general by the name of Titus after he seized Jerusalem and he utterly destroys the temple. In fact, we understand at that time that there were almost a million Jews that were in Jerusalem at that time and the vast majority of them, about 80% of them according to Josephus, were killed and put to death at this time by Titus as he destroys the temple. A great slaughter and a great destruction of the temple that took place at that time. But that's 40 years from then. And what we know is that there is a significant gap between that moment of the destruction of the temple and the moment when Jesus Christ returns to bring an end to the world age. We know that because he's yet to come a second time. And we're in that interim period of time. And so the disciples were wrong to, in a sense, precisely connect these as chronologically coinciding events, but they were only partly wrong. 
Can I say that? There was something in their thinking that was right or correct. They were right in connecting the destruction of the temple with the end of the age and the coming of the Messiah in judgment. Let me explain this just briefly. And there's a little bit of background we have to do to set this up. We're going to begin a series, and there's just little bits of footnotes or information you need to put in your mind as you're reading these scriptures. Let's think of the temple for a moment. The existence of the temple, the temple as it stood and as it was before them, it represented something. It was a type of something. The existence of the temple was a type revealing the saving mission of the Messiah coming as a servant to rescue people from their sins. The temple as it existed revealed that the Messiah was to come first as a servant to be a sacrifice for the sins of the people. All of the different offerings made up and put on the altar and for sacrifice in the temple, all were projecting and pointing themselves typically to the final sacrifice of Jesus Christ coming as the Lamb of God who dies for the sins of the world. The temple rituals with the priestly ministrations of them and the priests taking these offerings and these sacrifices and presenting them up in the Holy of Holies before God again is a representation or a type of the priestly ministry that the Lord Jesus carries forward and fulfills in himself. He's our great high priest. He's ascended into heaven. He takes the sacrifice he's made on our behalf and he presents it before God the Father, seeking our cleansing and our forgiveness. It reveals the way of salvation for all individuals and it comes through the fulfillment of Jesus Christ, answering everything that's reflected in the temple. The temple also was a type or a revelation of how it was that God could make his presence among men. God being present and with the people and The Lord Jesus is right now before the disciples. And the Lord Jesus is God in the flesh, is present before them. He's with them at that moment. And the day will come when, as they believe and trust in him, that he will pour his spirit upon them and their very bodies will be temples of his presence living within them. And when all these things are fulfilled, everything that the temple existence typified, all of them are fulfilled. There's not a necessity for the temple anymore. Because what it's pointing to and what it's representing and what it's typifying is common. It's been completed, and it's completed in Jesus Christ. So, the existence of the temple is akin to or connected to the first appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ to save. In the same way, as the existence of the temple was a type of Jesus' first coming, the destruction of the temple is a type of his second coming. It's a type of God's judgment, not only on Israel, but on all the nations. The destruction of the temple and the great destruction that takes place and the catastrophic destruction that so overwhelms the Jews that they've never seen anything like it. And seriously, the Jewish race is still reverberating with the trauma of that moment and that time. More significant and more great than what we consider to be the Holocaust for the Jews was the day in which they lost the promised land, in which their temple was destroyed, in which they were driven out, and they're not offering sacrifices still to this day. They've lost their priesthood and they've lost their temple and they've lost their sacrifices. It was a great and traumatic event and an expression of God's great judgment upon them. In the same way that that event as an expression was a moment of great and profound judgment, it typifies the judgment that will come and take place at the end of the age before the establishment of the messianic rule over all the world. So as Jesus answers their questions, He leaves intertwined through this message, to some extent, their thoughts. He doesn't disconnect it all. He allows a connection to be made between the destruction of the temple and the end of the age. He allows them to think of it as a marker for the introduction of the age that's to come. It is a type. It's a type that will come in its fullness 
one day when the Messiah comes to reign upon the earth, and so he doesn't disentangle them entirely. And this is confusing for individuals because when they read the, all of the discourse, they don't know when they're reading about the destruction of the temple and when Jesus is simply prophesying about that and when the Lord Jesus is prophesying about the great judgment and the final judgment that comes before and during the midst of the great tribulation at the end of the age, and I think it's intentionally that way. The Lord Jesus allows these things to be intertwined. Their questions were, when shall the temple be destroyed and what shall be the sign of your coming to bring about the end of the age? They put these two concerns together and hold them tight together and the Lord Jesus answers these two questions together. As he answers them and as we study this passage, we'll begin to see beyond the destruction of the temple that they are not linked as tightly by time as the disciples thought at that moment. But there is a link. At the same time, maybe not on this day, but eventually the disciples themselves will realize that they're not entirely connected and they will begin to disentangle them as well. But for now, what we want to do is look at this passage and begin to draw lessons for ourselves. And here's where we need to begin, looking at these first 14 verses of Matthew 24. We want to note that what the Lord Jesus is describing in these first 14 verses is the conditions that will mark the period of time between his first coming and his second coming. He doesn't directly go to answer the question. Well, that's all important background to prepare us for a study in the Olivet Discourse of the Lord Jesus. You'll have to join us again as we take up his in-depth study of the last days before he returns for us. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of church partnership, evangelism, and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. We are at work to take this gospel to the ends of the earth, and we need your prayers and your support. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.